Well, as most of us know, we've been uh, looking at the subject of prayer over the last few weeks. And basically, uh, the main focus up until now has been on the content of certain prayers, particularly uh, the prayers of Paul. I don't know about you, but certainly for myself, I've found that very educational uh, to look at the kind of things that Paul prayed for in comparison to the kind of things that perhaps I would normally pray for, and the spiritual depth that we can all kind of incorporate, I think, uh, into our own prayer life. Uh, What we're going to do tonight is not so much look at the content uh, of a prayer, but we're going to look at a type uh, of prayer. In fact, two types uh, of prayer. Um, If you were to turn uh, to 1 Timothy 2, that's not where our main reading is going to be, Uh, Paul is talking about the prayer life of the church in that chapter. He says uh, it's the priority. First of all, he says, first in priority, we should pray. And uh, he talks about certain types of prayer, supplication and intercession being two of them. And these are the two types of prayer that we're going to look at tonight. And we're going to look at that um, from the life of Hannah, Uh, and her son, uh, Samuel, uh, in the Old Testament. There was no collusion, actually, between Alvis and myself, as far as the reading today, so it's nice to know that perhaps my thoughts are maybe on the right track. So we're going to turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 1, for our initial reading. There will be two or three other references during the uh, course of the message from the early chapters of 1 Samuel, so just keep your your Bible handy uh, so that you you can turn to them. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, and what's, what's encouraging, of course, here is that uh, it's not so much that we're looking at the prayer of a great apostle. You know, we think, my, my, how can I possibly attain to that? We're looking at the prayer of an ordinary person, an ordinary person, just like you and me, and there is so much for us to learn out of the life of Hannah and her son. So 1 Samuel chapter 1 this time, uh, and at verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice wasn't heard. Eli thought she was drunk. He said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Hannah's prayer is the most basic of all kinds of prayer of any kind of prayer. The most fundamental reason that people pray to God. 
Nothing fancy about this. Hannah is praying out of desperately difficult personal circumstances. She's praying out of deep distress. And as she prays, she's actually weeping at the same time. I mean, you'll know the the background if you read the first few verses of the chapter. Um, A polygamous marriage. Unable to have children herself. The other wife in the triangle. Is that a triangle or a square? Anyway, you know what I mean. Um, And uh, is described as being her rival who frequently provokes her because she has children and Hannah has none. And it just seems to be emphasized every year during these special festival occasions when they go up to worship God. Part of the worship was um, taking part in a fellowship offering. Animals were sacrificed. Food from that animal was sacrificed, but part of it was eaten between the family, the worshippers, and shared with the priests together. And, you know, special portions were given to Peninnah and all her sons. Hannah got a double portion, but that didn't compensate for her feeling of loss as it just seemed to be emphasized at that time to her, her situation, and how difficult and how desolate she felt about the whole thing. And in desperation, and in this sense of of real um, anguish as she describes it she, she starts to pray in the house of God and she's a spiritual woman and yet she's, she's badly misunderstood by the priest of the day Eli. he looks on her she's praying in her heart nothing is coming out you know, and, and he thinks that she's drunk and all the time it's out of this anguished spirit of distress that uh, she pours out her soul to the Lord. Now, basic prayer doesn't need to be oratory. In fact, you know, oratory is probably poor prayer. We're thinking about people rather than about God. I mean, her words don't even come out. And, and she's misunderstood and she's judged And she's not thought very highly of. And yet God knows. People don't understand. People misinterpret. But God knows her heart. And God knows her motivation. And God knows her distress. And God hears her silent prayer. And that's the most basic type of prayer that can be prayed. I mean, Habakkuk actually is another example of that. An, an imminent invasion. You know, absolute fear at a national level. And you just cry out for help to God in the difficulty of your situation. When you feel that there's no way out and you've got nobody else to turn to and there don't appear to be any other answers and there's a sense of desperation, you turn to God for help in prayer. And all of us can be reminded about that. And that is something that is open to every single one of us to cry to the Lord in our supplication. 
The word supplication means that I have need. And I have a need for God to supply what I can't do myself. Supplication from the idea of supply. And that's exactly what she does here. Now, the fascinating thing about this prayer. Now, it's obviously in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. And there's an awful lot of chapters to come in this book. What is placed at the head of the book? What is the first thing that kicks off the entire story and narrative and history of 1 Samuel? It's a woman's pain and it's a woman's prayer. And everything else that is recorded in this book, which actually is the journey of the nation back to God again and back to greatness again because they turn to God. All of that just happens as the consequence of this woman's pain and of this woman's prayer. Now that's fantastically encouraging, isn't it? To any one of us who might find ourselves in a whole host and variety of difficult situations And at times, we have nowhere else to turn but bring our supplication to God in prayer. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus? Basic, basic truths. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. In fact, the tense of all these verbs there is keep on asking. Keep on seeking, keep on, keep on knocking. And as we do that, as we pray to God in our difficulties, I mean, you think about um, Hannah, particularly in the light of her second prayer that we had read earlier, and her understanding and her appreciation of God. She prays to God, but she's not praying to God as though God is reluctant to help her. And she's begging with God to be merciful in the sense that he doesn't want to intervene in her difficulties. You know, often there is almost that temptation, actually, that we feel that when we are in prayer, especially when it's something that's personally very painful and difficult, either for us or for people that we love that are near to us, that that we can be tempted into, into... improper thoughts about God's love and about God's mercy. And, and part of the function of prayer, even when our prayers are not answered immediately and we're encouraged to keep on asking, seeking and knocking, is not that we just get a quick fix, but it's that our relationship with our God and our appreciation of Him and our understanding of Him as we speak to Him is something that deepens. And we get to know Him through prayer in that deeper sense. And so, you know, if you were to turn uh, on to chapter 2, you you get a sense of that. Very interesting, actually. I was just saying to Alvis when he told me he was going to read that, the parallels between this and Luke chapter 1, where Mary prays the Magnificat, when she learns that she is going to be the mother of the Son of God. There there are parallels between Hannah's prayer and and Mary's prayer. But let me read to you again verse 8. This is her understanding of God. 
He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor for the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. And her understanding of God is deepened. Now, there's a, there's a psalm I would like you to turn to that, that, that again makes this point. Psalm 62. And at the end of Psalm 62, as he concludes his prayer, you know, he, he gives expression almost, I think, to this temptation of how do I view God in my distress? And here is his answer, Psalm 62, verse 11. One thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. Basically, he's reminding all of us, when we pray, what we remember God is powerful, God is loving, and God is right, and he is just. He will do the right thing. And these are, these are, I think, things that come out to us from the prayer of Hannah, that most basic of prayers that come out of a situation of distress. Let's move on to Hannah's son, because it's all part of the same, uh, the same narrative. She, she prays. For, for this child and then uh, when she comes back subsequently um, to the tabernacle to worship again she uh, comes up to that old priest uh, Eli and she introduces herself and in verse 26 of chapter 1 she said to him pardon me my lord surely as you live I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord I prayed for this child. The Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He'll be given over to the Lord. And he, that is Samuel, worshipped the Lord there. Samuel becomes the major character now in these early chapters of the book that bears his name. He plays a highly significant role. And part of that is through his prayers. I don't think it's without significance that he had a mother who prayed. And the example of that was something that lived with him and that that stayed with him. I mean, he was taught to pray, not just by his mother, but, but by old Eli as well, you know, that's the story that we love in the in the Sunday school. We read about it uh, in chapter three. Um, you know, the little boy lies down at night and he hears the voice and he thinks it's the old man Eli, and he goes through a couple of times until he cottons on. And Eli says to him, verse nine of chapter three, um, "Go and lie down, and if he calls, you say, this is what you say. If God speaks to you." This is how you're to reply. This is how you have to learn to speak to God yourself. And you say, speak, Lord. 
for your servant is listening. And the little boy did that. And he comes to know God. And in verse 19 it says, tremendous words, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, north to south, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Learning to pray, being, being taught to pray. Now, we're going to move on to a couple of examples of Samuel's prayers. Types of prayer. Not so much supplication. Because what Samuel becomes in the life of the nation, and everybody recognizes him as God's man, is he becomes the intercessor for Israel. He intercedes with God on behalf of the people. He comes between intercede. He stands between the people and he mediates as he prays on their behalf to God in heaven. What a tremendous you know, example this is for us to, to kind of grasp the importance of, of this type of prayer. You know, to think about ourselves as mediators, as interceders between people and, and God and to have this important role that we can plead to God on behalf of people that we know, friends and family and colleagues so forth. And that's what I want to just kind of draw your attention to um, in the life of Samuel. So we'll turn over to chapter 7 um, at this point. Chapter 7 and verse 5. You know, things have been pretty hopeless in the country. Uh, there are a few you know, green shoots of recovery. Uh, all the people are kind of gathering around him. And uh, Samuel says in verse 5 of chapter 7, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Verse 8, They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb, sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, and he cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. The people said, don't stop praying for us, Samuel. He said, come on, and I will intercede for you. Now, this, I just wanted to kind of develop this point a little bit so that we can understand it, what it means to be an intercessor. You know, we've got a number of examples of this at a number of levels uh, in, our, in our Bibles. We have examples of, of people who interceded to other people on the behalf of friends and family. I think probably the greatest example that we have in our Bibles is uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 44. You remember the story of Joseph? And uh, Joseph is 
second in line to Pharaoh. And his brothers come down, and of course they don't recognize him. He plays the harsh man. Benjamin is going to be taken into captivity because of the whole thing about the the silver cup and the sack. And Judah steps forward at this point. And what he says is a tremendous example of intercession. I'm going to read it to you, actually, from from Genesis chapter uh, 44. Um, He says in verse 32 of that chapter, he said, Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, If I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy's not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. And he intercedes before Joseph on behalf of his younger brother, Benjamin. Great pathos, you know, great emotion in what was done there. And when we think about the fact that intercession is actually something that Christ does on our behalf, that he prays for us. In Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is described as praying with words that can't be really expressed, groanings that can hardly be uttered in his interventions of prayer on behalf of the people of God, as does Christ himself. I mean, Job actually had this kind of understanding that God had this kind of capacity as intercessor. He looked beyond the day in which he lived and he saw the Redeemer that was to come. And there's a fantastic verse in the 16th chapter of the book of Job. And again, you think of the the situation that Job found himself. Uh, and, And this is what he says in chapter 16, verse 18. Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. Fantastic that, isn't it? To think of Christ, my friend, my advocate, my intercessor, pleading before God as a man pleads for his friend. It really elevates this whole capacity of what it really means to be an intercessor. So with all that in mind, back to 1 Samuel, and the second example of, of Samuel's intercession which is found in chapter 12. 
chapter 12, which is really Samuel's farewell speech to the people. He's an old man now. The people actually haven't really gone on the way that he wanted them to. And in verse 19, the people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants, so that we'll not die. For we've added to all our other sins this evil of asking for a king. Verse 23, here's Samuel. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. I mean, that's tremendous, actually. I mean, the people weren't saying to Samuel, um, we're concerned that you're not praying for us, you know. You're falling down on the job, Samuel. And we're criticizing you for sinning and missing the mark as far as fulfilling your function is concerned. No, this is Samuel's own estimation of his role. And he said, you know, you're asking me to pray for you. He said, I feel that if I, if I was to stop praying for you, I would be sinning against God. Such a Tremendously important thing uh, for me uh, to do that. We all feel a huge inadequacy, don't we? Um, when we think about our own role as intercessors, when we read a verse like this. You know, we all feel hugely inadequate as far as acting as an intercessor for our friends and our family and our colleagues, and for the people that uh, we, we seek to minister with, how easily we, we forget and fall down on the job. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not the job of, of, the, of a preacher to, to scold people. You know, it's the job to, to inspire uh, and, to, and, and to enthuse. Uh, we know there are people who are much better at doing this than, than we are ourselves. But, you know, looking at the life of our church here in Hebron, and uh, if we are to be effective at any kind of level, this type of prayer has to be a major part of the collective life of the church. That this church as a whole should be marked as being a church that is an intercessor before God. And, you know, we pay lip service to it, and it's easy to preach about it, but to really ask ourselves if we believe in the importance of being an intercessor and to being committed, as Samuel was committed to this particular role, and not for necessarily anyone else to say this about us, but to ask ourselves the question, Am I sinning before the Lord because I'm stopping interceding before God? And is there a real missing of the mark as far as our life, our church and individual life is concerned because we're falling down and stopping praying? I was reminded when I was reading this verse of James chapter 4 and verse 17 which reads like this, To him who knows to do good and does it not, 
him it is sin. You know, point point the finger at my own my own heart and my own life, as far as this is concerned. And we ask ourselves how we would rate up against the words of Samuel here. Let's finish on a on a, on a more encouraging note. And the encouraging note is actually found in the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 15. If you would like to just turn to that, actually, because, interestingly, Samuel's name comes up in Jeremiah's prophecy in this verse. And the, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah just at the point where the nation is going to be overrun by the Babylonians again. And this is what he says. Then the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Remarkable. So two two men highlighted examples of intercessory prayer. Big examples of intercessors. Moses and as we've seen Samuel who stood before God on behalf of the people and interceded for them. And God is saying here, even, even if Samuel was doing that today, and Moses was with them, and they were both praying, I wouldn't listen to them. I would not listen to them. Such is the sin of this people. Now, the great thing about a verse like this is it's a contrast verse. You know, and it's pointing us on ultimately to the ultimate intercessor, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. Samuel and Moses could never do what Christ did. Great men though they were, you know, they can do nothing in comparison, and their intercession is nothing in comparison to the intercession of Christ. When we think about his words even upon the cross, his prayer of intercession, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And because of the the worth and value of Christ, that prayer is answered. Above and beyond anything that these men could have done. I was reading John 17 earlier today, the prayer of Christ. and, And part of his prayer, which actually was for us who have now believed, away down the corridors of history to our time, he prayed this. That they might see my glory. The glory that I had with you before this world existed. You know, I've preached on that text a couple of times. um, At at gravesides. At burial services. And said, you know, today is the answer to the prayer of Christ. Christ's prayer, his intercession has been answered and fulfilled this day. Because this day, this person who we bury is seeing Christ's glory. And the prayer has been answered. You know, we have this tremendous encouragement when we come to intercessory prayer of our great high priest and about our Lord Jesus who takes all our prayers and our praises and presents them in adequacy towards God. So let's, let's learn uh, from this evening about types of prayer, basic prayer, 
intercessory prayer. And perhaps as a church, we might not sin by stopping praying for the people that we should pray for. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Uh, We do feel our shortcomings, and uh, we know we are not what we should be. And we ask that from the pages of Scripture, there will be these lessons for us to learn tonight individually, uh, to function as Samuel did, as an intercessor. We pray that for ourselves and for Hebron as a church, that we might be what you want us to be. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Uh, We thank you for this this day, the Lord's day, when we can be with your people. We commit to you the preaching of the gospel as it's gone forth in so many places. And we commit to you now, each of ourselves, as we go out into this week, that we might live for you. As we ask in Jesus' name, amen.